What actor or actress doesn't want to play the part of President of the United States? It's astounding to see how often POTUS figures in film. So, which ones moved us, maybe even inspired some of us to run for office? And what can real candidates and office holders learn from the pretend ones? Today's episode, like all our episodes, are brought to you by FedEx. They're affordable, they're fast. I'm Michael Sheehan, and this is Politics as Unusual. Unless you watch and or listen to absolutely no form of entertainment whatsoever, you know Kate Burton from stage, screen, television, and even audiobooks. She's been a three-time Emmy nominee and a three-time Tony nominee. You know her as Ellis Gray from Grey's Anatomy, and she wowed us and scared the crap out of us as Vice President and Acting President Sally Langston from the hit TV series Scandal. But I know her best as my fellow graduate from the Yale School of Drama. My guest, my pal, Kate Burton. Hi, Kate. Hi there. Now, I went a couple of years before you did. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people, because Yale comes up a lot in conversations, people don't understand how small a school it really is. So small. And, and you work with everybody. So let's just play <laughs> I know, I <laughs> went to school with. Who do you know? Who do I right, know? Right. So, so you went to school with some major luminaries. Well, two years ahead of me was Sigourney Weaver. Excellent. One year ahead of me was Meryl Streep. In my year was Chris Durang, the playwright, and somebody you know Christine Esterbrook, because you both did the musical on Broadway, Spring Spring Awakening. Awakening. And we're both professors at USC. Oh, get out. Yeah, I saw her yesterday. Tell her I said hi. I totally will. And (laughs) one of the weirdest ones, I took Introduction to Playwriting with Louis Black. Oh, well, hello. Did you have a few laughs in that class? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. He had a lot of notes for me on almost everything I wrote. (laughs) How about you? Well, let's see. Who was in my time? Uh, So I graduated in 82, and uh, uh, two years above me was Tony Shalhoub from Monk, and uh, recent Tony winner, and I think Emmy winner and everything. And then above me was Reg E. Cathy and Uh David Allen Greer, beautiful, stunning. And in my class, no slouch, uh, Frances McDormand, two-time Oscar winner, and of course, one of my closest and dearest friends, Jane Kaczmarek. Um, who I lived with at Yale. Mm-hmm. And then uh, below me were John Turturro and Charles Dutton. Um, and so, you know, it's an incredible group. And the greatest thing about a place like Yale School of Drama is, you know, there's about 17 actors in the class. There's probably maybe four or five playwrights. There's maybe four or five directors. There's maybe 10 designers yeah. across, you know, all three spectrums, lighting, costume, set. And the thing is, you meet these people when you're in your youth. Yep. And guess what? You still work with them four decades yep. later. You know, it's just it never ends. You create a community. And that's what it really is, this amazing community. But but starts very, very small. Yeah. But you run into them and work with them for the rest of your life. You sure do. Now, Sally Langston. Yes. In Scandal. Yeah. <laughs> While, of course, it is kind of over the top, if you don't mind that, <laughs> that description. Really? No. Uh, I'm very you have a nuanced performance. But in it, with your character, you did collide <clears throat> into or sort of ride very current, very important issues. I mean, yeah. you went into a lot about the Supreme Court. Ironic yeah. we're talking about that today. Yes. And the 25th Amendment, and not just when it's invoked, but when it's revoked. Yes. It yes. Yeah. weird. Very, very weird. I mean, the, the sort of kismet of Sally Langston, of playing Vice President Sally Langston, Langston was so weird for me because earlier that year I had been in the pilot of Veep. 
mm-hmm. playing Senator Barbara Hallows of Nevada, which I learned was not Nevada, but Nevada. Um, they get very touchy. They about get it very out there. touchy, and I was the senator, so I better <laughs> get it together. And um, anyway, and that, of course, was a dream, a comedy. You know, Armando Iannucci, the brilliant genius, uh, you know, writer and director, you know, created this extraordinary. <laughs> Extraordinary satire, which mm-hmm. is you know is coming back. We're yeah. very excited. They're shooting it now. Uh, they're I think seventh season. Wow! And uh, there's you know the genius that is Julia Louis Dreyfus playing this hilarious vice president, and I was you know this hard as nails uh, senator giving her a really hard time. And so cut to I'm in Edinburgh. This is the classic actor story. I'm sitting in, in the Edinburgh Festival in Scotland watching some not very good show, actually. <laughs> and for the only time in my life, my phone buzzes. And I never have my phone on, on, on a buzz mode. And the phone is in my pocket. Somehow it's gotten onto buzz mode. The phone buzzes. It's in my pocket. And I go, oh, my God. And I move to the back of the auditorium. Because I'm like, I don't want to disrupt the show. Of course, I'm an actress, a theater actress. Right. No, no, verboten. And um, I look at it, and it says Shonda Rhimes, who was my boss in, you know, as playing Ellis Gray in Grey's Anatomy. And I was in that pilot as well. And for the first three years, pretty much. But uh, so there was, and she said, would you play the vice president? in my next show. And that was it. That's all she asked. And the answer, of course, immediately was, yes, I will. She nominated you. Now, I've read something. Yeah. I need you to confirm true or not true. What? It's the first day you were going to shoot, and she came down and was on the set, and you said she never came to the set, and she whispered a secret to you. (laughs) Well, no, she... No, she... Very dramatic. Uh, No, she... During Grey's Anatomy, we almost never saw. We saw her at the table reads, but other than that, she was, you know, nose to the grindstone. You know, yeah. she was. That was her the beginning for her. She was creating this show. She, I think she'd made a film. She went to USC, you know, film school as a as a graduate student, and uh, so we very rarely saw her on Grey's Anatomy. Scandal from day one. There she was, and there she was mm-hmm. on the set, and that had never happened on Grey's. She was standing on the set. I was about to enter the Oval Office. You know, my one question, by the way, when I was offered the part of the vice president, I said, and who is the president? Yeah. And they said, Tony Goldwyn, do you know him? I'm like, do I know him? (laughs) Tony Goldwyn and I, I mean, this is the smallness of this community. We had been non-equity actors together at Williamstown when we were 20 and 21. I mean, it's beyond. I have acted with him, plays, movies, television, so many. Anyway, so I burst out laughing. And uh, the first scene... Uh, that I was shooting for the fur it was it was the fourth episode of the first seven episodes. And that was the introduction of my character. And I got to the set and there was Shonda. And you know, I'd learned my lines, you know, it was like, Hello, Mr. President, and I'm coming in and may I speak with you, Mr. President? Right. In this accent. And uh, you know, my own accent, because I nobody had told me otherwise. And sh- and I said, Shonda, I, because I'd never seen her on the set, I said, Is there anything you want to say to me before I shoot my first take? And she said, she's Southern. So, you know, thank God I had my training My training at the Yale School. I mean, you know, I, I just went, huh? And it was literally action. And somebody was, <laughs> Mr. President, may I speak with you for a moment? And I don't even know my accent. Who knows where my accent's from? But my, I have a very dear friend of my mother's who's a big political person. Uh-huh. Her name is Bodie Boatwright. And anybody in show business knows who she is. And she is an agent at ICM, literary and director's agent at ICM, and a few actors as well. And you stole she's, her accent. And she's from North Carolina. <laughs> right. So I thought, who do I know? Okay, Bodie. 
So Got Bodhi it. loves that I used her all these years. But yeah, but of course, then, you know, what, what's amazing, the most amazing thing about doing a part in a television show, whether it's, you know, your regular character, which I'm very, very, very rarely, it's mostly I'm a recurring character, is when the writers start to write for you. It becomes the most extraordinary collaboration of actor right. and writer. And so suddenly these literally, I feel like they're just gifts. I heard Mandy Patinkin talking once about when he gets the new Homeland script. And it's just like, oh, what's going to be in this script? And, you know, you open up the first page and it's like gold. And the truth of it is same with Scandal because so plot driven. Yeah. So the characters were so larger than life particularly the recurring characters. I would say the regular characters who are Pope and Associates and, right. you know, obviously Kerry Washington and, and, and Tony Goldwyn and the brilliant Bellamy Young is that, you know, they are kind of more like normal people. <laughs> and then there's the rest of us. <laughs> right. We're the not normal people. And it's, uh, although I would wonder if Jeff Perry would classify his mm -hmm. character as kind of normal, but, um, but a fascinating group of Actors, characters, the writing, so much fun. Our table reads, which are the first thing that you do at the beginning of an episode is you sit around a big old table and right. we sit in this really like low rent room and we're not allowed to see the script. We have not seen the script. So the script arrives in front of us and we open it up all together and we read it cold. And of course, for Sally Langston, there were always these moments of like, everybody had to stop and just right. laugh. She said what? She said, I mean, when I said Crispy Piggy the first time, I literally went, oh my God. And I looked over at Shonda and she just opened her hands and looked at me like, yep, you're going to be saying that. Yeah. And that was the thing. It was just, it was such a heavenly gift. And frankly, it was something that, you know, just like, I, honestly... I feel that all my experience as an actor is that things just are so surprising. But one thing that did happen in my 50s is that I started to play politicians, yeah. all different kinds, all shapes and sizes. I played, obviously, Sally Langston, and everybody thought, would say, I love you on House of Cards. <laughs> and I'd be like, thanks, it's Scandal. Right. And sometimes I'd just go, thank you. Right. You know. Uh, and then uh, Veep playing, mm -hmm. you know, Senator... I've played a couple of secretaries of state. I've done them in little indie movies that you've never seen. I did a TV show called Extant where I was the secretary of state of this kind of mythical land. <laughs> but, you know, that was also very fun. But, you know, fabulous costumes. I happen to right. love jackets. It's all good. Big hair. You know, I sort of feel like I'm a combo. You know, I would like, you know, when I first played Sally Langston, I thought – I'm dressed similarly to Diane Feinstein, though my politics are Michelle Bachman. <laughs> I said, so I'm that kind of interesting combination. A meld. It was, I was a melder. A um, But, you know, a lot of fun. And, you know, it was it, when Sally Langston became acting president for two episodes, yep. two, three episodes, whatever that time span was, when Fitz was in the hospital. Right. After the assassination attempt, it happened to be that it was during the second um, election process for Obama. Mm -hmm. And uh, I happened to be sitting at the desk in the Oval Office when he went over with the, you know, Electoral College. And, you know, the head producer, Mary Howard, came in and she said, he's done it. And, mm -hmm. I, and I was sitting there at our fake, in our fake Oval, right. Oval Office. And I thought, well, he, what a, a meta moment. Yeah. What an incredible meta moment I'm yeah. having. But when you're sitting in that fake Oval Office, you must get this flash of, I'm playing a president? 
yeah. um, playing an acting president. Yeah. It must be different from some of the other stuff. Well, it is. It's it's very exciting for me. I mean, I mean, for me, too, and it was sort of my personal history. I'm a British national. Yeah. Um, my parents were British. I was born in Europe, in Switzerland. Um, I was a UK citizen, totally, entirely, singly, mm-hmm. until 2005. That's when I finally became an American citizen, speaking with this accent my whole life. Grew up in New York City, went to Brown University, went to Yale University. So I was, I came late to the game. I, I mm-hmm. my, my American citizenship is very meaningful to me, as it is to everybody, but particularly for those of us who naturalized. Yeah. So, you know, the reason I became a citizen was because of the Florida recount, and I knew, oh my God, 537 votes. It really does matter. So anyway, so I had such a profound relationship with my own experience of becoming an American citizen. So then to play a president, even, albeit for three episodes, I was aware of it. It was quite, you know, I felt a little tingle up my spine as I was taking the oath of office. I have, funnily enough, as an actress, I had found those scenes in the Oval Office to be my most difficult scenes. Yeah. Playing a leader is a very difficult thing to play because you can't just, you know, it's not just like, oh, you know, there are five things you have to do when you're playing a leader. There's so many, as we know, so many different kinds of leaders. And so it was a very interesting process it's an interesting process as an actor i'm sure cherry jones would say the same yeah. thing i'm sure bruce greenwood would say the same thing all of us who've played presidents or vice presidents or close to the presidents right you know it's a very you have to find the humanity but you also have to know that this is kind of a mythic role but you have to always get back to who the human being is yeah so, and that's what i think tony goldwyn frankly has done so brilliantly on scandal you always know who that he's conflicted, and I think his president, Fitz, was an extraordinary portrayal. Now, sometimes on the flip side of it, we had to do a couple of staging things. For example, when we did Oval Office addresses with Bill Clinton, we would position, I would position the camera a little further away or a little closer <clears throat> to, depending on what the topic was. Right. Because if it's, hey, the economy is doing great, I'm giving good news, I would pull the camera back so he could be a little bigger. Same thing with right. Obama. But if it were something serious, I would have them bring the camera in as oh. close as possible to yeah. him so they would bring everything down. Intimate. So in a sense... Makes them more intimate. Yeah. So in a sense, we had to do... That, that kind of staging as well. Mm. Now, we're talking about fictional characters. Sure. But when it's real, there's something strange going on. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> Tell I, me I was, about it. <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh, no. Oh, faux pas. Uh, <laughs> when you're playing not a fictional president or vice yes. president, you're playing a real one. Real one, yeah. It gets a little weird because yeah. I wonder where's the line between dramatic license and you're really screwing around with history because people do watch this and believe it's real. Yeah. Recent film, uh, Selma, with the portrayal of LBJ, I think went a little bit overboard mm-hmm. in trying to characterize the recalcitrance of LBJ to working with uh, Martin Luther, Luther King, King, and that's not quite true. It's not quite true. When we know those of us who love LBJ, and he happens to be one of my favorite presidents, yeah. I thought Selma was an extraordinary film. And this is yeah, this is a this is an odd comment, but I realized it was happening as I was watching the movie. I mean, I thought the ca- you know the actors were s- tremendously wonderful. Um, there was an odd thing 
that they did, and I don't know that it was actually ultimately terribly helpful. They did this thing where everybody else, when they were speaking besides Martin Luther King, and maybe this this was just my impression as I was watching it, you know, they would speak and yeah. they would talk and, you know, it was like a normal thing and there would be silence. And sometimes, not always, I don't think, but occasionally when Martin Luther King spoke, even if it was just in a two person conversation, they would underscore Martin Luther King with a little music. And so it really was, at first I thought, what's going on? And then I thought, they're underscoring Martin Luther King. And he was so extraordinary in that role. And, you know, so I found very, I was like, that's so weird. Did Strange he did he carry I, around you know a, a you know flock of angels who a, just sang a, you know, a every time he spoke man. a boombox? But it was just yeah, it was just very interesting. But I um, it is interesting when you're playing the real characters. I mean, we've seen many depictions of LBJ. We've seen God knows many depictions of Kennedy, and Nixon, we will talk about them Reagan. I know we've we have yeah. we've already had a quiet conversation about some of these. Yeah. And I would say everyone I've seen has had something to offer, has mm-hmm. had some kind of new glimmer of humanity and understanding. And, you know, and, and one always finds, and this is also just getting back for a minute to Sally Langston, yeah. which who's such a, a sort of, you know, Dickensian character almost, is that it's always fun to play the ones that have darkness. Oh, sure. You know, so why does everybody want to play Richard Nixon? Come on! You know, I mean, why wouldn't you want to play Richard Nixon? I mean, it's easy. It's not easier. It's much more fun to play Richard Nixon yeah. <laughs> than it is to play Eve, like Jimmy Carter. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Who's like just – I just was at the Carter Library in, in Atlanta and what an extraordinary man he was. I mean, I just loved him so much. And but. very few depictions of him on either television or film. Almost n- – in fact, we, very, I, can't, I can't think of any. Yeah, Maybe I fa- there's – I found one. Oh, you did. I well, there you one. go. Of course, you've done your homework. But an interesting thing about the portrayal in the person – since we're both Shakespearean lovers, yes. Uh, poor Richard the Third. Poor Richard. Historically, III. you know, not bad. Did his job, mm. but thanks to Shakespeare, one of the darkest characters out there. Yeah. So yeah. It can yeah. have an effect. Well, now, it can have an effect, and you know, I mean, yes, I, I, and I do think that you know, what did Shakespeare do? You know, he used his source material. I mean, Shakespeare was the biggest stealer of all time, the biggest robber of other things, because he knew that. You know, if you got something great, steal it. You know, whatever you're mm-hmm. not going to steal, it's you know somebody Just somebody else will get stuff. Just that's, steal good that's stuff. That's the secret, which he did. I would say <laughs> we can officially say that Shakespeare stole good stuff. I've been talking to Kate about playing a part. Well, when you want to get your stuff where you want it, when you want it, to the person you want, 420,000 people at FedEx have to play their part and play it well each and every day. Want a plot summary? Fine. First, they have to pick it up at thousands of pickup places or even at your office. Then they have to sort millions of packages and put them on the right plane, and they have more than 650 of those. Then, once they land, they have to put it on the right truck and get it to the right person at the right place right on time. And that takes those 420,000 people playing their part for you each and every day. So when it's your stuff and you need to get it someplace, think FedEx. They're affordable, they're fast, they play their part every day. Now, there's a weird thing, and since you mentioned your background, you might have a perspective on this. The family of people who are portrayed in film or TV, I was thinking back, 
Patty and Ron Reagan had a visceral reaction to the TV version of their dad's portrayal. And when you've seen members of your family portrayed by someone else, Mm -hmm. does it freak you out? Does it make you angry? I have not had that experience. And the only time I had an experience, uh, because I didn't, you know, I won't. Right. <laughs> I don't, I just don't turn on the television. Uh, no, when, after my stepmother, Elizabeth Taylor died, there was a flurry of stuff yeah. that came along. And, you know, it was, uh, it one of the things that just made me laugh the most, there was a lifetime, no, Hallmark Hall, oh, maybe Lifetime. Telev- one of those, yeah. Television for Women. Uh, lifetime little movie, a TV movie called Liz and Dick, which, by the way, anybody who actually knew my father and Elizabeth, my father Richard Burton and Elizabeth, would know they never were called that by any of their closest friends. It was mm-hmm. Richard and Elizabeth. Oh, I said Liz right. and Dick. Maybe. I was like, oh, well, there you go. That's all you need to know. <laughs> anyway, so I'm driving down Sunset Boulevard. It's 4.30 in the morning. I'm going to my makeup call for Scandal right. at Sunset Gower. And I look up, and there's this huge placard, and it says, Liz and Dick starring Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> and I thought, that's fantastic. That's it. I'm Not <laughs> only is whoever poor sod is playing my father, is, yeah. who I heard was actually quite good, is not even, I mean, he's in really small letters. So you like crash the car trying to see the letters. And I just thought the irony of this is so ridiculous. I did hear, I always, you know, my my, my people talk to me. I heard that um, Dominic West, who played my dad, um, there was another television film with Helena Bonham Carter as Elizabeth. I know that's apparently a very, very good one. Yeah. And a friends of mine in Britain saw it and said it was very, yeah. very good. They, they were really good. I once had a really interesting experience when he first started to do interviews. I did a lot of work with John Kennedy Jr. And we were prepping for his first big interview on ABC. Uh-huh. And so we had to go through all the questions that were going to be raised. And we're clicking through him. And he's doing just fine. By the way, he had a great sense of humor. Oh, wonderful. It's absolutely true. The week before the interview, he was on the cover of People magazine and had been named the sexiest, sexiest man in America. And, of course, nobody would laugh at that more than him. Right. I know. Well, I asked him about it uh, doing the mock interview, and he said, well, it beats the front page of the New York Daily News when I failed the bar exam, and the, oh. headline, was, and the headline was Hunk Flunks. I remember that. So we laughed, but then oh, later God. in the discussion, it, again, this was coincidence is just such a creepy thing in, in life. I know. The movie JFK was out. Oh, the And Oliver as you know, it has, right, it has the original uncut Zapruder footage of the assassination in it, where you can, pardon me, but I have to say, you can see the cartilage and the blood coming out of the back of his head. Oh, my God. And I asked him, what was your reaction to that film? He said, I haven't seen it. I said, well, what about anything? He said, I don't see them. And I said, and I just had to press him as if I were, were the interviewer. Yeah. And I said, but your father was famous for his curiosity. He would have read these books. He would have seen these movies. Why don't you? And he mm-hmm. looked at me in the eye and he said, because for me, that's not entertainment. Yeah, yeah, I know. And yeah. two weeks later, he does the interview on ABC. They ask him that question. He gives that answer. And that's the answer. And so. the interviewer has no choice but to say, well, let's talk about some other things. Yeah, You have to just turn it off. You can't. It's, it's impossible yeah. to imagine, but you just, you know, you just can't spend the time. 
mm-hmm. looking at this, and especially when you're dealing with something like the Kennedy family yeah. dealt with, you know, it was it's so mythic, it's mm-hmm. so embedded in our consciousness. I've just been watching this amazing Ken Burns documentary right. about Vietnam, and you know, and it, and it's just that's that's what it is. But but John Kennedy, the sort of the person, right. extraordinary, amazing, fascinating, multi-leveled, complicated. The characterizations of him have been so – the ones that I've seen have been really remarkable yeah. over the years. So I'm very grateful to all these filmmakers yeah. for having told us this story over and over yeah. and over again. I'm going to bounce those off you, but one <clears throat> thing before we go through that list of sure. real, real and, and fictional ones. When you sat behind the set and the Oval Office mm-hmm. desk mm-hmm. – and even though there's crew walking around and there are mm-hmm. cameras all over, did you have this any kind of a flash of oh my god? I tell you the biggest What's it like? the biggest time I ever had that flash, funnily enough, was on my last day on Scandal. Hmm. My last day on Scandal was endless. It was it started at ten in the morning and I ended up leaving at one in the morning. We did the table read for the last episode. I had already I still had a scene to do from the previous episode because I was in the last two episodes. I did that scene from the previous episodes. Then I had a huge swath of time. And I decided rather than leaving Sunset Gower, which is right near where I live, I thought, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay. I'm going to walk around all the sets. I mean, I've been – I don't even know how many episodes I did of that show, 35 maybe. I'm going to walk around. And I went and visited. There were two units shooting that day. So I visited with everybody. I visited with all my buddies. Visited with the directors, visited with the crew. There were two crews working that day. And then I went into the Oval Office and I walked around the Oval Office. And this now, this was my first time being in the Oval Office since the character of Melly Grant had become president. So it was the first female president. Yes. And it was, I had a very emotional experience looking at there was a beaut they had a beautiful portrait of Eleanor Roosevelt above the um fireplace there were other beautiful artifacts in the room uh they I I loved the choice of the rug I had not yeah. seen for some reason I hadn't seen any of the episodes with her in the oval and I found that I got very emotional thinking about female president yeah you know the that impact of just seeing stuff when I worked on Clinton's inaugural in 93, we did it in Blair House across the street. Uh-huh. First few press conferences, we prepped down in the map room. But for the first address from the Oval Office behind the desk, because he liked to do it behind the desk, that was the first time I was in the – and you walk in and it's – must be amazing. Oh, my God. Yeah. And Strange. it's not so big. It's an interesting no. – it's not that big a room. Yeah. I always love at the presidential libraries when they do a replication of their own ovals. Yep. And I've, I've been to a lot of them recently. Yeah. My daughter and I are visiting them all. And I've been in only fake ones. I've mm-hmm. been in – I've been obviously been in the Scandal one and then I also was in the West Wing uh-huh. one too because I played a senator on that yes. one episode. And I believe that one was from an American president. I think oh, the American president with Michael Douglas. Yeah. So it is always thrilling. It's thrilling even when you walk into the fake one. Yeah. But I can only – if I ever get the opportunity to walk into the real one, I'll the be thrilled. The biggest difference is every president gets to pick his and hopefully someday soon her. Yes. They get to pick their own desk. So oh. those change. Oh, That's very that I didn't know. Yep. Yep. Now, do those desks go to the presidential libraries and then – or do they go – who knows where they go? Uh, the, they do not go on eBay. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. 
To go into actors, there was actually an interesting story. It's true. In 1988, there's a pollster in D.C. Everybody knows uh, uh, Peter Hart. And Peter, if you're listening, I hope you don't mind. I reveal the secret. He did something really interesting with several focus groups. He put on the table different pictures Mm -hmm. of senators, actors, real people. Mm -hmm. And he did this, I think, in four different focus groups and just put, and they didn't know who these people were. Mm -hmm. And he asked them to pick out who looks like president of the United States. Every single one picked the same picture. And it was Al Gore. That is fascinating. So it's this idea that I do think we have an image of what a president looks like or should look like. Yeah. And that brings us to Al- movies. Although, although <laughs> not right. I don't know how that guy got in, but anyway, although, go ahead. Let's start. And we'll do this almost like a lightning round. Sure. You tell me if you liked it, didn't I might like not it. have seen it. Right. Yeah, I might not um, have seen it. I have to start with another Yaley, Paul Giamatti. Giamatti, yes. And I didn't get to I have not seen yeah. that. And I've always wanted to, as John Adams. As you will. And the interesting thing there is the different... It's of the person who's not in office, the person who is in office. So that kaleidoscope, that kind of uh, prism effect, really mm. interesting. Mm. The, I will be seeing that, though, just because that's on HBO, and then you can yep. just click it. It's fine. Link it. Oh. The most portrayed president in film, movie, no kidding, really? and the like. The most. I did a count. Now, obviously, the classic one is Henry Fonda in Young Abe Beautiful. Lincoln. But Which two I contemporary remember. ones. And I'm going to ask your reaction to each. I'm going to ask you about Sam Waterston and mm-hmm. Daniel Day-Lewis. Let's right. start with Sam. Sam, another I s- Yale. By another the way. Yale. It's endless. Although undergraduate, yes, yes. which means real, real Yale, <laughs> as I say. Yes, I saw Sam in. It's called Lincoln in Illinois, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, went at uh, Lincoln Center Theater. Yep. Absolutely wonderful performance. I remembered very vividly. I also remember the other actors very well. But I loved that production, and I and I found it riveting. Uh, and I believe that was Jerry Gutierrez was the director yeah, I, I don't so. know yeah brilliant it's just ex- one of the great Lincoln Center productions the film with Daniel Day Lewis is so extraordinary yeah. and I adored his performance I mean you know I adore as an actor if you don't find something to love about Daniel Day Lewis then get out of the business right. if you're an actor uh, he just he is the way he absolutely throws himself into his work into his portrayals whether it's fictional or mm-hmm. Nonfictional, but his Lincoln, I felt the weight mm-hmm. of the office. I felt just he literally. I mean, you always feel that Lincoln, you know, you know he suffered. He right. suffered through the Civil War, and you. He, oh my God, did he portray that? But incredibly. the really interesting tweak he did, and this is historically true. Yes, great story about it in Gary Wool's book about Lincoln. Lincoln actually had when he raised his voice got into his upper register and got sort of squeaky. Interesting. But Edward Everett, who gave the two-hour speech before him, because of just the atmosphere, how moist it was that day, his voice really didn't carry all that much, and people just heard this two-hour rumble. But because Lincoln's voice was in the upper register, just a little squeaky, Everybody they could hear heard him. him. This is the Gettysburg Address. Yep, this is yeah. the Gettysburg Address. Now, it helped that you went two minutes instead of two hours. Yes. I think <laughs> you probably stood out. But yeah, interesting, keep it short. But interesting, the pitch of his voice. And yeah. I once had a discussion with Sam uh, Waterston about his portrayal of Lincoln. And we had a discussion about a line read. Because mm-hmm. everyone says, of course, of the people, by the people, mm-hmm. for the people. He flipped it around. 
And he goes, of the people, by the people, for the people. Oh, yeah. That sounds like Sam Waterston. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's just got this little effect. Yeah, that's interesting. So that's what Sam did when he yep. did that. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's so interesting. And now we flip forward to FDR. And I know you have a favorite actor. Edward Herman. Yeah. What do you think of him? You know, I just, I, well, he was my first FDR as far as I'm concerned. He was FDR. I mean, FDR was like, who's that guy? Uh, no, I just thought his, and he clearly, I mean, Ed and I worked together a bunch of times at Williamstown. He clearly found, I mean, Ed was a very erudite, very um, learned man and extremely well-read. And he he just connected with that character. He connected with everything about him. He connected with his extraordinary brilliance, his amazing acumen, but also his whimsy. Right. Because I think there was a lot of whimsy with FDR. And, um, and I think Edward really captured that. And then, of course, partnered with the great Jane Alexander, sure. who had that extraordinary patrician... Oh, my God. She was just extraordinary. Bearing is, is the word that occurs. It, oh. She had bearing. She had bearing. And when she became the National Endowment for the Arts chairman, chairperson, yes. excuse me, I think that she, they some of the senators said to her, you know, the minute you came into the room, we were like, it's Eleanor Roosevelt. <laughs> and it's like, well, that's what <laughs> actors do. Mrs. Roosevelt. Nice Mrs. Roosevelt. Let's jump forward to JFK. Now, you mentioned Bruce, Bruce before and, and 13 Days. Oh, my God. I mean, he's just, you know, Bruce Greenwood is one of those actors. I And I was actually talking. As I said, I was talking with my friend Lisa James yeah. last night. And so I was telling her last night that we were going to be speaking about Bruce today. I just think Bruce Greenwood, you know, I've seen him play McNamara. I've seen him play Gil Garcetti. I've seen him play JFK. Yeah. And he has an ability to play these characters. He never does an imitation. He has a, just a human. He's got some kind of, he's got some kind quiet little recipe for how to play yeah. them where it's his own take, but you really feel like it's the person. Yes. Nixon. Anthony Hopkins and Nixon versus Frank Langella in uh, Frost Nixon. <laughs> well, all I can say about those two gentlemen, I have had the great pleasure of working with both of them. Um, you know, Tony the way he approaches characters, and I know he he's all about instinct. Yeah. Working with him, I did a, a, a film version of Uncle Vanya with him. It's all about instinct, and it's all about, it's just, he can't even, the great, what makes Tony the incredible actor that he is, is that he couldn't even tell you necessarily how he does it, but he talks a lot about the editor. He talks a lot about – he taught me an incredible amount about acting for the camera mm -hmm. when I did the film with him. He also directed the film that I was in and played Uncle Vanya. Um, so for him and, – and I can only imagine with him and Oliver Stone and the great Joan Allen as yeah. Pat Nixon. Yep. Jesus Christ, what a performance. That I, I – there's – you know, he always finds his way to the vulnerability. And because he played one of the greatest villains of all time – with this sort of weird, <laughs> I mean, what a performance, yeah, you know, so, yeah. staggering performance. I'm so thrilled that, you know, he was nominated for the Oscar as was Frank Langella. You know, I'm so thrilled he was. But I will say, so instinct versus tech, incredible technique. Frank Langella to me, and they both have incredible technique in a lot of ways, but Frank Langella's, 
the way that Frank made his way into that character, because of course he's so much yeah. physically taller than Nixon. Yep. I saw him both on stage and on film. My daughter Charlotte, who's twenty, who's uh, just an amateur presidential historian, I think has seen Frost Nixon. I would say maybe forty five times. Yeah. She loves that movie so much. His performance is extraordinary. Yeah, it's extraordinary in a completely different way, and not better, not worse, but just different. And when you see those two performances side by side, I mean, I think any lover of acting needs to see both those performances because they're both extraordinary. I have a slightly different entree to the discussion. Go ahead. You knew Richard Nixon. Yes. <gasps> well, not know him. As a young boy, as right. a young 14-year-old, I got a summer job as a messenger on Wall Street. Jesus. This is 1967. Oh, my God. And it was the law firm of Nixon, Mudge, Rose, Guthrie, Alexander, and Mitchell. Wow. So I ran errands for the Nixon law firm. And this was the year before he ran. And I was told this might happen because they would always hire two or three high school kids for a summer job. Wow. The person who ran the room looked at me and said, Rosemary Woods would like you to come upstairs. <gasps> Excuse me. I think that's the title of your memoir. <laughs> Rosemary Woods would like, to, would like you to come upstairs. So I come upstairs. Oh, no, it gets better. She said, uh, Vice President Nixon would like to see you. <gasps> Oh, so he did my. this. He did this with all the summer interns. There, there were only three. You would come in, and he would sit you down, and he said, "And what's your name? And where are you going to school? And oh. what are you studying?" Oh. And then I got a little tour of his office, and this came from this country. I remember there was a big vase that he got from China. Wow. And I mean, he was kind of awkward, but he was nice to a fourteen-year-old kid. An awkward man. Mm -hmm. A very, you know, this is not a this is not a people person. I mean, in a way, it's sort of extraordinary that he became president of the yeah. United States. But you know, a public Tenacity. a public servant. He was yeah. a public servant. You can yep. say what you like, but he was a public servant. So that's not a surprising story. Yeah. And I think that's a wonderful story. Yeah. When are you writing your memoir? <laughs> I bet I hope you're writing it soon. Let's flip to fiction. Yes. My favorite presidential portrayal in a fictional movie was Henry Fonda. Oh in Failsafe. Oh, the best. Amazing. It's because it's so, it's in this little room about the size, matter of fact, smaller than the room you and I are in now. Mm -hmm. And Larry Hackman plays the translator. Oh. And what I found extraordinary about that was, as you know, it's about a potential nuclear attack. I do. I just He's watched, I literally just watched it again the other fabulous. day. It's fabulous. It is fabulous. But it has these swings that I experienced too, that you would be in the middle of something incredibly serious. I remember at one of the debate preps in 2012, we were just wrapping up and a couple of senior officials came in and we got one of those uh, gentlemen, could I have the room please? Because Benghazi was just sort of oh, wow. happening at that time. And you could just feel something's going oh, on. Oh my God. But then, you know, when you're between takes or um, other stuff, you talk about your kids, and one of his young daughters and one of my sons, when they were younger, had sort of the same bad experience. Thank goodness everything's fine. Mm. But when they were like four weeks old, they ran a very high fever. Oh. And of course, there's this suspicion, could it be meningitis? So they bring him into the hospital at four weeks, hook him up to IVs until the tests come back to find out. And it happened to him with one of his daughters, and it happened to my sons when they were young. Mm. And we were just talking about fathers with your kid in the hospital. Oh, yeah. and But that swing from one to the other is yeah. extraordinary. Yeah. Now, you brought something up before I got to bring you back to American president versus West Wing. 
Michael Douglas versus Martin Sheen. Oh, so hard to choose. I know. Well, Both you wonderful. can just evaluate the two. Both. I mean, you know, Michael Douglas, you know, I always, you know, I love that. And that was such a wonderful movie. Annette Benning, so great in that too. Yeah, you know, just such a fun, it's such like, I love those sort of lighter movies like yeah. Dave and like yeah. American President, you know, that you just can enjoy. And it's sort of the romance of the being the president of the United States and what it must be like to live in the White House. And then you fall in love with somebody mm-hmm. and how wonderful. Uh, I really, really, and, and you know, Michael Douglas to me is such a wonderful actor. I just love seeing him yeah. in everything. You know, Martin Sheen, I mean, honestly, defined Playing the president. I mean, that show defined television in a way. That show was one of those seismic television shows that moved the compass. I felt it, you know, Aaron Sorkin put his finger on something with that, that cast of characters, all of them, John Spencer, Alice and Jenny, the goddess, uh, Bradley Whitford, Martin Sheen, I mean, you know. There were a so whole lot of young... They were just amazing. It was an amazing ensemble. And Here, he was absolutely a blazing light in the middle of it. I got to bring two things together because I remember when John Kennedy Jr. would tell me about how many people would come up to him and say, your dad is the reason why I've gone into public service. I know. And I would say a third of the young employees on Capitol Hill right now are there because of Martin Sheen. Oh, Please. And I mean, this is the power of television. I can tell you how many young medical students come up to me and say, I became a doctor because of Grey's Anatomy. And you think that's the power of television. And I, you know, I've done a fair share of really interesting films. And I always call my films my dabs of paint, my dabs (laughs) of paint acting. But most of my most meaty work has been in in theater and television. And, you know, and that's the th- the power of television, the power of the West Wing when it was on the air, and even after. I mean, my my daughter is madly yeah. in love with Frost Nixon. My son has probably watched every episode of the West Wing. I would say ten times. I mean, and he's thirty and a writer and an actor. But um, the truth of it is that it is it had such a powerful effect. And I would say all of these political shows yeah. are a direct result. From House of Cards to Scandal to v- comedy, tragedy, Homeland, all of them all have some kind of that lickety split, chitter chatter, chitter chatter, things happening on top of each other. Yeah. That Aaron Sorkin started that. Yeah. So Martin Sheen was the avatar. Okay. For that. You mentioned him a little before. I have to give you another mention about yes. uh, Tony Goldwyn. Tony Goldwyn, my buddy. My amazing bud. Tony Goldwyn, just an extraordinary performance. Because let's face it, you know, I said I said one day during we were doing some take, and of course it was all like a you know sexual debacle yeah. about some terrible scandal. Well, the show yes. was called Scandal, hence. so there was no hence the name of the show. And I said, Can't we talk about policy or something? Like <laughs> farms and what do they need? You know, and it, it was like, no, it's called scandal. What? But Tony Goldwyn's performance as Fitzgerald Grant, uh, he, you know, it was, it, I feel it's really up there with one for the ages. Yeah. I just, he had that ability to play the gravitas of the presidency, to play the humanity of the man, to play his conflicted feelings about his, obviously, right. his love life, but also about life and death situations. Always fascinating to watch, always interesting. I never ever found any of his scenes anything but riveting. Even if he was just passing through the scene, 
He's just incredible, as is, well, the whole cast was yeah. extraordinary. But also Bellamy Young as the first lady with all the difficulties that that character had to deal with. And then when you when she discovers her leadership, and let's face it, it was a fascinating thing for us to watch. Yeah. Because, you know, we really did think Stuff was that that on. was going to be happening in life. And then yeah. when it didn't happen, it became the, you know, you know when you think of Bells playing playing, you know, President Melly Grant, you think of Jerry Jones, uh -huh. you think of extraordinary uh, Elizabeth Marvel on Homeland. Yep. You know, you know, th they defined in a lot of ways. Oh, and of course, J Julia Louis-Dreyfus is yeah. president. Selena Meyer, thank God, yeah. the uh, sherbet that mm. we need to cleanse the palate. <laughs> but that, you know, how does a woman, it really becomes a classic example. How does a woman become the leader of the free world. Yeah. And it hasn't happened yet, but on television it has happened. And it's been interesting to watch how it is portrayed. All those actresses have found very different ways of doing it. Next season, we're coming back. We're going to do prime ministers. Okay, well then we'll have to be back and talk about that. <laughs> Kate, thanks so much. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for joining me today on this impromptu alumni meeting with my pal Keith Burton. And today's episode of Politics is Unusual was brought to you by FedEx. They're affordable, they're fast, they're our sponsor. And be sure to catch us next week when we talk about what can lawmakers learn from a yogurt maker with the founder and CEO of Chobani Yogurt, who's also an incredible activist in the refugee crisis and redeveloping rural America. And be sure to catch us next week when we talk about what can lawmakers learn from a yogurt maker with the founder and CEO of Chobani Yogurt, that's Hamdi Ulukaya. Leadership is not telling people what to do, doing things with them. And that's all here at Politics as Unusual. <laughs>